0: Gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Gird Up Podcast once again. we got a super special episode for you today with Mr. Bill Meyer. Mr. Bill Meyer is the president and CEO of Kingdom Workers. If you're not familiar with Kingdom Workers, uh, you'll hear about it in the next podcast. that will go up on Thursday. But Kingdom Workers is a global organization that helps to bring the gospel to thousands of people all over, all over the world, uh, changing hearts and minds and eternities all at the same time. But today, you're going to hear Mr. Meyer talk about uh, growing up as a farm kid. You're going to hear him talking about how much he loves working with pigs. You're going to hear some great stories of uh, toughness and mental toughness and fortitude. And you're also going to hear some great stories from the mission field. So I'm glad you tuned in. Make sure you're following us on social media. Make sure you're leaving reviews for this podcast and stay in tune with us. And enjoy this interview with Mr. Bill Meyer. Bill Meyer. Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Jungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself, working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, we are back with Mr. Bill Meyer from Kingdom Workers. Um, We talked uh, a couple minutes ago. In his interview about kidney uh, workers and, and all that, and make sure you listen to that episode because it's going to be really good. Uh, but now I want to talk about Bill. So Bill, let's let's talk about you a little bit. Talk about your childhood and and growing up, and let's get into it here.
1: All right, all right. I uh, yeah, it's like it's sort of weird to feel like you're supposed to talk about yourself, but I uh, <laughs> guess I'll get. Ready. You are
0: the most interesting person in the room right now by yeah. far. So
1: <laughs> it's just because I'm old.
0: <laughs> you got more experience, <laughs> yeah. exactly.
1: Uh, so i I grew up on a farm now, that's the bottom line when people say where'd you come from i'm I'm a farm kid uh from bristol wisconsin i uh my, my parents were uh well pig farmers for i don't know i i was probably fourteen when they got rid of the pigs and then it was just a grain farm after that uh but bottom line is it was a farm so four mm-hmm. h family farm bureau family uh, also a church family uh went went down to uh, Faith Lutheran church in Antioch illinois and for for church and for school but uh growing up on the farm is something that i i don't believe anyone wants to leave behind that that grew up on a farm mm. uh and e- even now i I've got my kids involved in four h even but i'm I'm a town guy now I live in watertown <laughs> wisconsin but right. but we're we're in four h and my daughter we get our four sheep this, this, uh, this Saturday we pick up the four sheep and we have friends with a little barn, uh, three miles away on the edge of town. So we're still doing the farm thing, even though we're not on a farm.
0: Just out of curiosity, who is that?
1: That's Maria. She's about to turn 12. Cool. And yeah, she's big into any kind of animal, but, but yeah, sheep is her thing now.
0: Does the other family do the sheep and that kind of stuff too?
1: No, they're retired dairy farmers. Okay. So they're, they're, their barns it's a hobby farm now they keep a few goats they got some mm-hmm. rabbits turkeys chickens ducks and uh and then my daughter's sheep you know awesome. they, they think it's really cool to to have my daughter's sheep out there and uh, w- with sheep especially fair sheep you, you, you can't just fill a feeder and let them be like mm-hmm. a pig but you gotta you gotta feed them and water them every day and then also they get walked every single day they get exercised and worked with every single day we're out there so it's it's active farming. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but yeah, so, but back to, to growing up, uh, yeah, it, it, it's fun now even to talk to some of my friends from grade school and high school when I haven't seen them for a while. Cause they'll always tell me about, uh, the first time they visited Bill's house. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one, one of my friends is he and his brother, they, they've got a, a, a car dealership and, uh, and actually through the, even through their car dealership, they're, they're supporters of kingdom workers. They're, they're really generous. It's awesome. And, uh, you know, Kurt s- says he'll never forget coming to the farm and, uh, a pig had died and I had to take our little bobcat and get the carcass out of the pig pen. And then we had to haul it out to the woods for all the all the all the pigs get buried and then the tractor got stuck and it was stuck in the mud (laughs) and we had to walk like a half mile and to get the tractor another tractor to get it out and it was a big mess and i mean he reminded me about stuff that happened that day that i i I didn't remember at all but he remembers (laughs) every moment right and that that makes me it makes me feel special about the the childhood my parents gave me Mm -hmm. that uh i grew up with chores every day uh that my friends thought were cool and fun. I didn't think they were <laughs> cool or fun, but, but they did, you know, yeah. and, and, and in hindsight, uh, I, 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 look back fondly. I, I miss driving tractor. I miss running a tractor up and down the field and, uh, just the, the, the diesel engine and, and the dust and seeing, you know, a deer here or there or watching mm-hmm. the planes in the air, but basically mostly just watching and smelling the dirt rollover, uh, yeah, speaking of dirt, the the first time I went to Africa, the very first morning I woke up after sleeping in Africa for the night, it was uh, the rural Wembeji Mission Station in Zambia, and it was September, and they'd just gotten their first round of rains. And and so that was the first day that the Zambians were in their fields. And I woke up the next morning, my very first morning there, and all, I could smell all that fresh dirt <laughs> rolled over, and the dirt smelled exactly like the dirt in Bristol, Wisconsin. It smells like home. It is, yeah. So dirt is dirt. And the dirt in Zambia smells just like the dirt in wisconsin and uh and for me, that was just an you know an affirmation that it, it's it's one world and it's it's all people and yeah. we all share a lot of commonalities even though it's it may it may feel like a different place right. uh it's it's really connected so but yeah the the farm life was cool we had one really traumatic incident in uh, 1976 the whole farm burnt down
0: oh yeah i forgot about that I yeah forgot about
1: that. yeah that was a huge fire there was 55 mile an hour winds, so nine barns burned um seven alarm fire 300 pigs died two, 298 exactly actually and uh yeah everything burned but the oldest barn on the farm which wasn't even insurable that one st- stood and the house they saved the house but everything else was just gone so for me, as a kid, I just wanted to make. Oh, all I cared about was what my my mom and dad were going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, but for my parents, that was incredibly traumatic. But it, it also just shows the simplicity of a kid. I can honestly say that um, all this stuff burned down, all these pigs died, all this equipment was destroyed. None of that really phased me. All I needed to know was that my mom and dad were okay. Yeah. And and they were. So for me. Hey, life was good. You go out and you uh, y- y- you build forts in the corn stalks that your friends are bailing for you because you just lost all of your bedding for your pigs, uh-huh. you know, and, th- and it's yeah. still and there's still smoldering wood around, but you and all your buddies from grade school, you're out there, um, you know, having yeah. having little wars in your forts <laughs> while all the adults are, are cleaning up yeah. um, because mom and dad are okay. Life was simple when you're a right. kid. Uh, so it wasn't simple for my parents. Obviously, they they had to rebuild a farm, but they did, and and uh, and it was awesome. Uh, they just they, they still are in the farmhouse, and I still love going down there. Uh, everything else has been sold. Uh, my dad kept ten acres, so he still does his farmers market. He grows his vegetables and hauls them in the town four days a week, and and all that. But yeah, uh, it was it, it was an incredible blessing to to grow up on the farm where you're outside either playing or working in the dirt, having friends come over, liking to come over, not just to watch TV or play video games, but because we went to the barn and, uh, you know, yeah, fixed something, built something, had tree forts all over the place, um, ride our bikes for hours and never leave the farm, right. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it was awesome.
0: Cool. Uh, so, I just, well, first of all, is that, so insurance pretty much covers all that. Like, so how what does... What does that aftermath look like after a farm burns down? Yeah,
1: so the insurance, nine barns built, burnt down. Uh, you know, insurance is a funky thing. You know, there, there's, you, are you insured for replacement value or are you shared for real sale value? Mm. And the, the insurance built two new barns out of nine. It built a new farrowing barn and a and a nursery for the for the hog operation and that was it, so all the machinery sat outside for the next two decades basically, mm. and uh, and that's just the way that's just the way it is and then and then you roll you know, you just you just build your herd back up and you farm the land, uh, so so financially it it it, it set my parents back quite a bit, and the, you know the. The papers had just been signed to buy the farm. you know, It doesn't even mean it was necessarily even paid for. Right. Um, and, and the other element of that uh, is most farms are operated on an operating loan where uh, you know, each year the, the, the banker gives you a loan to, to buy everything you need to operate, and then at the end of the year you sell everything and you pay the bank back and the whatever is left over is your income for the year. So then you've got crop insurance for stuff like that. But when um, when building when you have insurance for your buildings, and that covers that, but your your operation the 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 buildings that were used for a hog operation uh, they you could replace the buildings, but the income that would come from raising and selling pigs that that's not insured ah, you, three, right. 300 pigs die 300 pigs die
0: and was that the whole herd or?
1: That was most of the younger pigs. the The breeding stock was about a hundred pigs. that That they all survived, but the majority of the young ones were all mm-hmm. dead. And those young ones, and that's what you're gonna sell. That's the ones you're gonna sell. Yeah. So you you can do some math if you knew the market prices for hogs back in 1976 or for breeding stock, and you lose 300 pigs. That's a lot of income. That you, your your income's gone that year mm-hmm. from the hog operation.
0: So how long does it take to build your herd back up then? Or?
1: Yeah. So basically. It it would take. It would take about six months to get back to where you had a study stream of sellable livestock. I'd say, yeah. Is it like is that.
0: it a, like a when you're when you farm pigs is like an annual cycle where like you you get you know like steers like you'll yeah. you'll sell off the 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 calves once a year. Is that kind of the same thing for pigs or is it just kind of continuous? The
1: pigs is continuous. So you know if you're starting all over, uh, just. We'll get into the details of pig farming here. <laughs> Gestation for a pig is three months, three weeks, and three days. So if, you, if there's some breeding stock and, and you go through a breeding cycle, mm-hmm. then roughly four months later, babies are born. And depending upon wh- when you're going to sell them, if you're just taking them to market, a pig born in February might be ready for market in August. You know, so mm-hmm. what's that, uh, seven months? Am I doing my math right? No, eight, six months. So six months after pigs are born, you might have um, pigs ready for market or possibly to be sold to become breeding stock. They wouldn't be breeding stock that quickly, but they'd be ready to to become breeding stock. So so if you've got pigs that are, are still pregnant after you have a fire like that, um, actually, you know, six months was too short. I said that earlier, that it would take six months to recover. If they're already pregnant, if they're already pregnant, they might start birthing in a month, or maybe it'd be four months, and then you got to wait six months after that. Okay. So Yeah. Um, wow. In the meantime. So
0: it's essentially a year to get back on your feet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd say to where the hog operation's making money again. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay, so that's fascinating. That's awesome. I well, didn't know. Well, I hope your listeners agree with you, Charlie, yeah. but that's fascinating. Uh, <laughs> Just, so ready for the worst joke of the day? Yeah. You got all that knowledge
1: in there. Does that make you pig-headed? <laughs> uh, many people would say yes, not because that's the definition, but because they know me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so um, definitely not pig-headed because of where the journey took you after you left the farm. So let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. After leaving the farm, I, uh, yeah, this is sort of a funny story. I, I, uh, I was not really college material when I was in high school, um, uh, at all. And, and, <laughs> and uh, so it was, it was, I think it was October maybe, or, uh, of my senior year. And everyone at our high school took the ASVAB. I went to Shoreline Lutheran High School down in Summers. The ASVAB is the, the, the military test for for aptitude. And a recruiter called my mom on and and said, "Hey, I, we just got results, and uh, your son Bill, he actually qualified to take the next qualification test for the nuclear field. And uh, yeah, I, I you know I, I'd like to come talk to him about enlisting in the Navy's nuclear power program. And my mom said to him, "Tell me a little bit more." And he told him, told my mom a little bit more and then my mom said i'm gonna have him at the kitchen table at nine o'clock on saturday <laughs> you better be there
0: <laughs> that's awesome and did you didn't know about did you no, know this guy she, was coming did,
1: no and then she and then i was just ordered you know i didn't have a choice <laughs> i was found out i was supposed to i didn't even know what was really going on but you know mom and dad said i had to be there so i I got out of bed and came downstairs. <laughs> and uh, and that guy laid out in front of me how much money a nuclear operator makes in the Navy and said, you qualify to take this test, and then if you pass this test, you go in this program, this is how much money you're going to make in the next... Uh, he wanted me to sign up for eight years. And it was a ton of money. And When you're <laughs> an 18-year-old, and this is uh, the fall of 1985, and I think the number he showed me was like $320,000. Mm-hmm. And I was... I was blown. I was I was making three twenty five at McDonald's, you know, an hour three twenty five, and so uh, yeah, that was a lot of money. I said, yeah, I'll take the test, and so uh, so I did. I took the test. I passed that test, and I enlisted in November, and you know, in the long term, that was a really good thing. In the short term, that was a really bad thing for the entire faculty at Shoreline Lutheran High School, because all I needed to do. Was walk across the stage and get a diploma. <laughs> Nothing else mattered, and I—that was only November of my senior. They—they oh, they had to put up with me from November to <laughs> May, and uh, yeah, that was that. Uh, I—I—I I, was—I and well, not do anything
0: that's going to preclude you from the military. <laughs> yeah, no, that's
1: right. I, I couldn't do anything that would create a criminal record, of course, and I and I ne- I wouldn't want to do that anyway. But in any case, uh, yeah. I, one of my, the assistant principal back then, uh, a guy named Mr. Heckman, Bruce Heckman, he, uh, I, I had a lot of detentions. He, he, and they were always in his office and we became friends. And uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I saw him, I, he, he was, well, he, before he retired, it was maybe 25 years after, uh, after I had graduated from school. And I was probably a home from being a missionary or something like that and i and i I was really happy to see him and i went up and said hi and i told him that he looked great i said you don't look a day older than my perception of you 25 years ago (laughs) (laughs) and he's he said thanks bill that's really nice he goes you know i i actually do uh think of you occasionally and speak of you to other students that end up in my uh classroom and sometimes in my office i say uh you know he, when i'm talking to one of these students that you know has no direction and is in a little bit of trouble i i say you know i i know i know that you have no direction have no idea what you're going to do and you really don't care about anything right now but it's amazing what god can do with people like you and i've i've seen the proof you know his name's bill meyer you know <laughs> and and so uh so yeah god's done some pretty incredible things in, in my life since then. But yeah, I, I was pretty bad there and ended up, got in the Navy. Uh, as the principal, Ray Dussault, said when he found out I enlisted, Bill Meyer is either going to do really well in the Navy or he's going to get kicked out. There's <laughs> no in-between, and, and I was blessed. I, uh, I, I did, really, did really well, went to school for two years in the Navy and then got picked up to teach at my last school instead of going to a submarine. I got to teach for two years in upstate New York and then spent two years on a sub got out of the Navy, went to Wisconsin Lutheran College to visit Ray Dussault, my high school principal, and he's the first person, Ray Dussault, when when I was a high school student, he's the first person that said something to me about uh, that he recognized leadership skill in me, and and he was investing in me. uh, I I think part of that was self-preservation on his part, because if he Recognized I was a leader and I was a bad kid, I would cause problems at the school, but if he could guide me, um, which, he, which he did to some extent, you know, maybe I wouldn't be dis- too disruptive. But the bottom line was I was flattered that he said, yeah, Bill, you influence other people. That means you're a leader and that's special and you have to um, you know, honor that and we need to cultivate that which was very kind of him, and, and so when I got out of the Navy, I was intending to go to a state school because I had the GI Bill, and, and uh, out of respect for him, I visited Wisconsin Lutheran College to have lunch, and uh, in the end, was recruited and convinced to stay at Wisconsin Lutheran College where I got a degree in chemistry, and, uh, and that's where you know, life really took a, a, a fun turn. When I, <coughs> when I finished my degree, I was, I don't know, I was like 29 years old, something like that, and I was intending to go work for a utility in the power industry. Were you married or single? I was single. My wife Kathy was a uh, two years behind me in school, and and that was part of the equation at the time. I wanted her to finish school, and and I and I knew that if we had gotten married then, it, and I moved or did went somewhere, mm-hmm. it, it, she probably would never finish. So, and I I just wanted her to finish. Part of that was because. That happened to my mom and dad. My mom finished nursing school but didn't finish her bachelor's degree. And then they got married, and she was always going to go back, and she never did. And every now and then when I was growing up, she gave my dad a hard time about that. <laughs> so that's why I said to Kathy, you need to finish school. And uh, and uh I wanted to do something different or fun, and there was a mission presentation at Wisconsin Lutheran College, and I knew about kingdom workers because – uh one of my high school classmates, Kurt Marquart, who I mentioned earlier visiting the farm and now owns what used to be his dad's car dealership in yeah. Barrington, Illinois, you know, Buick dealership. Uh, Larry Markwart was one of the founders of Kingdom Workers. And so I knew that Kingdom Workers existed from the time I was a teenager, even though it had just started. And I called and told him who I was and said, I'd, I'd like to do something for a year. And I, I don't really care what it is. Here's my background it'd be cool to go to Africa, but right. you know, I just want to do something fun. And you, and what's ironic about that is when we are in, uh, vetting people for mission service here at kingdom workers today, we're looking for this great commission zeal. And, and I remember my own thoughts back then <laughs> where I was like, no, I just want to do something fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, just some. Right. <laughs> I can do lots of stuff, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever I'll do, whatever. And, uh, so anyway went around and around interviews and stuff and different things. And, and they sent me to Zambia in 1997 for a year. And then I was asked to go to Malawi for half a year. And then I went to Cameroon for three months. And by the time I was done with all that, two years had passed and, uh, came back and got, got married and got my job at Wisconsin electric, which is now called we energies. a operations supervisor in the Valley power plant right downtown. The, uh, and then, two years later, after Kathy and I gotten married, uh, I was I got a phone call asking me to go back to Malawi as a, a traditional village missionary, just plain old serve congregations in rural areas of Malawi, mm-hmm. um, help open new ones, serve the ones that are there, and uh, and, and and quite candidly, I did not. Um, I was excited and honored, and like, wow, that is really, really cool. Uh, but I, uh, after thinking about it, and you know, even praying over it for a while, it was it was really tough because I loved my job at We Energies, and I made up my mind in September of uh, the year 2000. So I think they asked me in June. It took me till September, and I said, "I'm I'm not going. We're we're staying at Wisconsin Electric." And I told Kathy, my wife that we weren't going and she she didn't like get angry or anything but she was upset a little bit and and like yeah i really don't think that i don't think you really want to make that official yet and anyway just asked me to hold off on sending a letter making it official there was some other people i was supposed to meet and we just dragged on for a little while and uh I said okay fine fine and so we'll see these people so now it's November of the same year I'm still holding this call and uh and and again I was like yeah we 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 we're, we're going we're gonna to buy a house and I'm going to stay at We Energies and someday I'm going to run We Energies sweetie I that's what's that's what I'm going to do <laughs> right and uh she said ah, I, I just don't see how you could say no to this going to Malawi and I said why not and she said well they're they don't just ask anybody to do this. They're asking you because they know you can do it. They know that uh, you get along with the people that are on the mission team. You also have gotten along with the, 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 the Malawians and Zambians, and they know you can learn the language. So they're asking you because they know you can do it. You know you can do it, so why wouldn't you do it? And, uh, you know, and then uh, so that my, right, immediately the reflection of, of my reasons for staying all of a sudden became a little bit selfish. I yeah, you got like, juxtapose them against each other. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so we went. And so I'd say the good thing about that scenario, that, that we went because uh, she wouldn't uh, give in and, and that ultimately finally convinced me that we needed to go, is that every time the power went out in Malawi or anything else bad happened, I could shrug my shoulders <laughs> and say, well, we didn't have to come. You know? So that was... That was that worked in my favor. Yeah, but
0: you're the guy that knows how to fix it.
1: Yeah, well, I I can't I can't, I, I can't fix the generators I at suppose. the generator station that is three hours away. I suppose. I suppose. So so anyway, that's we went to Malawi, served as a missionary there for six years, did exploratory work in Mozambique, took a call to Mozambique, which my wife did not want me to take. <laughs> she would remind me, uh, and went to portugal to learn portuguese because Mozambique's portuguese speaking in 2009 our church body had uh the financial crisis hit our church body they cut 18 missionary positions and world missions including me and the guy that were preparing to move from portugal to mozambique so we came back and in 2010 uh my uh a guy that knew me when i was in malawi was on the search committee for kingdom workers knew at the time was called executive director uh the guy I replaced, he was retiring. And so this gentleman, and actually he was on the phone with me today, the same guy, uh, called and said, Bill, you should apply for this. And I was selected. And so since 2010, I've been serving here at Kingdom Workers.
0: Cool. Awesome. So you spent how many, like how long did you spend in Africa? Total
1: Uh, roughly eight years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: your kids were born over there.
1: The three oldest were born over there. The, okay. the, we've got a little one that's only two. She was born in Watertown, Wisconsin. Um, that's what keeps me really young. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the three older ones that are all they're all teenagers now. They were they were born in Malawi.
0: Okay, cool. And that's, so, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, what what thinking back about your time in, in Africa, what 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 sticks out is, is memories for you?
1: Yeah, for me, it's it's the people that are my friends. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of fun memories, like anywhere we go, whether we're in school or working somewhere, there's, there's funny events or fun events and memorable events. But, uh, but for me, it's, it's, uh, Pastor Kissinger Lucio, you know, Pastor Batson Lee um, these guys, Pastor Isaac Ingelema, um, George Kulapani, who worked for us for, uh, six years and Nora Bandawe, who also worked for us for six years, uh, I still see Nora whenever I I go back. I try and see her. Uh, I, I, those those people are they're they're all just awesome people, and I don't see them very much anymore. Hardly, may, maybe once every two years I, I visit and I see some of them, but uh, they they're my friends, and so so that so I think about them and I miss them. Uh, I, I learned a ton, you know, so that that goes with me. Uh, you know, I, I learned how to really boil things down to what's really most important here. You know, uh, the, the fact that things are happening in a way that's different than the way uh, I'm used to in America or some other mm-hmm. part of the world uh, or what the Navy taught me should be right uh, type of thing. Uh, in the end, in, in those moments, eventually with experience, you learn to figure out what's actually really most important here. What's the outcome you're all looking for? and uh, and the means don't justify the ends when it comes to morals and ethics however uh when you're when it's not an issue of morals or ethics the outcome is all that matters and you you the cultural norms that you were brought up with don't matter anymore <laughs> you know you got to yeah. figure out how you're going to get to where everyone needs to be and and so uh so that you know that that's something i, I take with me i mean there's a lot of fun stuff uh, I, I I learned another thing that I learned is a, a person by themselves uh, can only do so much, and and it's really hard. It's unlikely that you're going to fundamentally change a situation by yourself. Mm-hmm. But a whole bunch of people working together can can change something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned that you know, in the, in the other podcast I talked about the ministry in Malawi to people with disabilities. And one day in. Uh, well, uh, most days in Malawi, I'd, I'd have a, a one to two hour drive on, on, on dirt roads out t- to a rural area where there's some churches that I would be serving. And I'd come home late in the afternoon and there was a little trading center called Migoe. And I'd stop at that trading center to, to get a cold Coca-Cola. I, well, there was always Coca-Cola, but it wasn't always cold. But when <laughs> it was cold, you know, it's a cold Coca-Cola and a glass bottle awesome. and, uh, and I would just sit on the cement stoop in front of this little shop and, and drink my Coke and relax and, you know, smell the roses, so to speak, before yeah. I'd get in the truck and drive the, the hour and a half or so home that I had yet. And, and there was a little street kid there who uh, had either a developmental disability or syndrome or he might have been schizophrenic. And he was really small. He looked like he would be eight years old, but he was probably more like 18 and he was a pest and he spoke really fast and was a lot of gibberish. He was speaking in, in Chewa and English. And even though I uh, can speak both languages, I could never understand what he was saying, <laughs> no matter what words he was using. And, and he'd always pester me for a couple of quacha, the local currency. And uh, sometimes I'd give him a roll or a couple of quacha, but he was always, he really was a pest. And, uh, and so, sometimes I, I, I would, I mean, on, some, on one occasion, I stopped my truck and before he actually took the key out of the ignition i heard a thump and he had plastered his face and hands on my window and he was waiting for me yeah. and you know i had to push him away from the door to get out of the truck and he's like you're going to give me you know, you're going to give me a gift right now and i said i tell you what i let me go get my coke you just when i'm done i'll give you something and he sat down with his back against the running board of my truck and crossed his arms and he wasn't moving and i was like oh you you little snot you and so <laughs> So I went to have my Coke and I uh, I, I think I, I, I left something with the storekeeper for him. But then I, I opened the passenger side of my truck and crossed crawled across the seat without going around by him. Turned it on and drove away, and I, I could see in the mirror he was he was jumping up and down, bouncing all over the place, and and every, it was funny. I mean, I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, um, I'm not really proud of t- treating him that way, but but that was my relationship with him. It was right, no, uh, yeah, and 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 so one day he wasn't there, and it was just weird. wasn't there, and uh, and he wasn't there the next time either. And literally months went by, never saw, him, sort of forgot about him. And after a few months, I, I pulled up one day and while I was still in my truck, I saw him and he was sitting on the cement stoop in front of one of the stores. And I was like, hey, he's there. And I was actually sort of excited because yeah. I, I hadn't seen him for a long time. And I was like, well, he's back. Cool. So I, I walked up to him. And he didn't stand up and he didn't even look at me, really. And I got up close and I was like, hey, Eway," he, um, which is like, hey, you. And, and he looked at me sort of slowly and really slowly. And he, he wasn't moving right, and he didn't really say anything. And I could tell what, what had happened to him is he had gotten the snot beat out of him terribly. He, he had pestered the wrong people. Mm. And and so, uh, you know, I, I figured out, surmised, that he had been beat to within, you know, inches of losing his life and was convalescing at probably the Palombe Hospital for this whole time and now was out and now was just completely physically messed up. And... uh and you know and I never saw the kid again. That was the last time I saw him. You know, I bought him a bag of rolls and and, mm. and a Fanta and and then on the way home, uh, you know that, that that was a real emotional thing like wow, you know this is this is bad stuff. And and so on the way home, you know I I I'm, I'm taking inventory of the situation trying to figure out what I can do. And and that's that's one of the moments when I realized look, I I'm, I'm, I'm one of the wealthiest people in the world. And and it's true and probably most of you who are listening to this unless you live in Malawi uh are some of the most wealthiest people in the world cuz you're Americans and so we we certainly if you're just going global here 7 billion people I am quite certain you're you're among the top 10% if not the top 5% if you're listening to this you're really wealthy and yet I couldn't figure out what to do for that kid um I couldn't bring him home you know that that just was out of the question uh I, I couldn't ask the people in the congregations I served to necessarily take him in because they're living on a dollar a day. They, some, um, some parts of each year, they don't have much food at all for themselves, and they're not equipped to care for a person with special needs. Mm-hmm. They're scared to death of them. And the shopkeepers probably did better than anybody and just like every now and then helping them with yeah, a little, them little bit of food. And that's it. And uh, so that bothered me for years. And then one day it occurred to me, and when I was uh, witnessing this ministry that was started it through work of people that through Kingdom Workers in Malawi, I didn't start the Disability Ministry in Malawi. It wasn't my idea. I didn't start it. Um, I can take credit for hiring the guy named Stefan <laughs> who went over there and started it you know that's all i can do but i didn't even tell him to go do that he went over there and he came back and said hey i've been talking to people we should serve people with disabilities i said wow that's cool stefan do it and it took a while to get it going but now it's it's awesome it's an awesome ministry and and so so that whole that years of learning that went on from that incident to today tells me that yeah there was something there that i, I couldn't i couldn't affect by myself i couldn't really change a, yeah. a system or a culture or a situation by myself however a a, a group of a few hundred Malawians working with just a couple of Americans. Uh, And then with the financial support of a few thousand other Americans have, have fundamentally changed the lives of hundreds of Malawians and their families. And in a way that none of us would have been able to do by ourselves. So collectively, we are always, always much, much more stronger than we are individually. That's how God designed it. That's how God does it and now we're living it. <laughs> <That's> so gold. <cool. laughs> that's gold,
0: man. That's awesome. Uh so <laughs> you talked about um so man, that's so that you you told that story well too. Yeah. I, was, I was just sucked in. Anyway, <laughs> um, so you are the director of Kingdom Workers now. Yeah. Um, and so, or president or... Yeah, yeah whatever. You're, 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 the, you're the man. Um, and you talked a little bit about natural leadership and talked about, well, at the time he was, I think, Mr. Dussault, but now he's Dr. Dussault.
1: Oh, well, he was Dr. Dussault back then. Was we, he? We, yeah, we called him Doc. Yeah, yeah
0: so Dr. D, uh, talking about your, you know, natural leadership. Uh, is this something that, like, and obviously was a leader in the Navy, um, they wouldn't have tapped you on the shoulder if, if you weren't at least academically a leader, um, and then you know coming through just consistent examples of leadership. And so is that something that you've nurtured, or just something that kind of seems to happen, and you get better at it as you go? Or can you talk to your leadership potential and ability a little bit because I and the people that that work for you, at least the people that I know that work for you, really enjoy working for you too, and and they talk boldly about that.
1: So yeah, yeah, I think the longer I'm here, uh, the more often. That there are days when they may not enjoy working for me as much as they did, <laughs> the first year, the second. Oh, but that comes but, with the job too. That comes I with mean, the job. But I, but you know, I I, 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 love the people that work at Kingdom Workers, and I, and I love the people that work with us. Um, and and you know, and that's a huge part of all of this is understanding uh, the love that Jesus intends us to have for each other, which is based on the love that he has for us sometimes you say oh I love Jesus therefore I love these other people it's actually no Jesus loves me a ton um, that's my basis of my love for other people and uh, but so, so a leadership journey I mentioned uh, Dr. D mentioned, uh, talking to me and coming out to see me on the farm one day and asking to go for a walk and if that isn't weird you're 17 years old and <laughs> a high school principal wants to go have a walk on the farm that was weird uh but that's what he talked about was was leadership and i was like oh okay yep this is still weird but <laughs> okay i'm a leader all right all Yeah. You know. but i but but that was part of him like really grabbing my respect too cuz i do still love and respect him mm. he's an awesome dude and uh he uh the next time that someone really talked about that um was It was early, early in the Navy and it was, it was like a cleanup detail after school or something. I was a student and whatever we were doing, I ended up telling everybody what they were supposed to do that, that day. And, and it was our, uh, the guy's called the leading first. He was the, the, the guy in charge of all everybody there Mm -hmm. at the time. And I had just, someone had asked me something. I said, well, dude, that's this and that, whatever it is. And this leading first, said he just didn't say he just was looking at me and i looked back and he said i don't know what it is about you bill but people just do what you say i (laughs) I said okay thanks (laughs) um and i was trying to think of what i was going to tell him i don't remember if i had a smart comeback or not but (laughs) but that's that so that was another time that it really stuck like okay all right um so people do what i say and 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 so but it was recognition of something going on as affirmation of what dr d had said years before and and in in, in malawi uh, my i don't gee was i think i was there eight or nine months and i was elected to the mission council which was a leadership position there yeah. but that was because i spoke up at a meeting when no one wanted to do any kind of strategic planning and i was like guys you you have to you yeah. know so they they put me on the strategic planning and then they put me on the mission council on top of it uh but it wasn't until I was here at Kingdom Workers that I think I really tried to foster uh, leadership because this was the first time that I really felt the weight of uh, if I screw up, bad bad stuff happens to lots mm-hmm. of people, and you know there's an organization here that that has a life and a and a purpose, a cause that that's that's scriptural, it's Great Commission, and you know in previous times if i ever screwed up the consequences really rested only with me and my family well now it's a lot of other families and it's a lot of other people and it's a mission and so that's when i started reading about leadership like in 2010 2011 and and going to uh workshops or events and that type of thing on leadership and uh and i also uh you know i like to follow around people that i respect as leaders mm-hmm. and spend time with them and just hear their stories. Yeah. And uh, and I always learn from them. I, and I think th- they're cool people. Some of them are younger than me. Some are my age. Some are older than me. Uh, I I just, uh, I had the opportunity, we, we talked about um, Don Zitlow on the other podcast. Uh, I've had the opportunity to, to listen to him a couple times. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about a humble person, but he loves, 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 loves the people that work with him, his coworkers at Quick Trip, all fifteen thousand of them, or however many there are now, I, he loves them. I know he does, mm-hmm. and and they know he loves them, and that's that's a big a big part of it. He's also really smart. He, he he's strategically he, he gets he gets his, the world that he's responsible mm-hmm. for. So that's another thing is, um, in in leadership, you, you've got to go out and acquire the knowledge and skills that are valuable to the organization or entity that you're leading. Uh, I, if you put me, you know, someone might say, okay, Bill, you're, you're a great leader. Uh, we want you to go run quick trip. <laughs> say, you know what? <laughs> I don't think I'd be a very good help there. Cause I, I have no idea. Right. Uh, you, you, and uh, so if, 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 if quick trip took me and put me through four years of learning the company, maybe my leadership skill would be valuable in some element, but, you, mm-hmm. but, that, but, but that's got to be part of it I mean to a, any of us can stand up at any time and be a leader in a group in any situation and we should it doesn't matter our role there's opportunities to influence the people around us mm-hmm. and we should always influence them in, in a God pleasing way uh, and in a loving way to be in a position of leadership in any type of organization uh, if you don't have the knowledge you got to go and acquire it and I can tell you, at Kingdom Workers, when I started, I did not have the knowledge necessary to to be in this position uh, at Kingdom Workers. I had the knowledge and relationships about of mission work, mm-hmm. but I had no idea how to financially sustain the mission work. And I had no idea how to acquire the talent that you need to put in an organization to sustain the mission work. Mm-hmm. and And those are the... Those are the things that I spent time reading and learning on too. You know how how do you identify and acquire that? How do you even know what talent you're looking for, and then and then how do you financially sustain it? And uh, and so that's that's you can foster leadership by hanging out with other leaders, the ones that you respect and that others respect. You can also do a lot of reading uh, about leadership or leadership skills. But then you've also in, in real narrow applications, you've got to acquire the knowledge or the competency that that is needed in that organization. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just say, "Oh, I'm going to hire people that know how to do this." Uh, you d- you do have to bring in people that know how to do it, how to do some specific things better than you can. Mm-hmm. But you still got to know enough to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. You just you yeah, just right. have to. Um, so so you got to learn, 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 learn. Um, you know, beyond that uh, you know, I, I, we, we use strengths finders. Uh, we also use DISC. Mm-hmm. Um, those can tell a person about, uh, the way they're wired that might indicate some aptitude for leadership. But I, I sincerely believe, and I've actually seen it. Uh, there's a person on our team named Patty who, uh, would never, ever, ever until recently consider herself a leader and would, would run away from leadership. And even when she was a leader, would say she's not a leader. She's, she's, she's extremely humble, but she's extremely, uh, she, she just works her tail off. She's, she's an incredibly hard worker. She's very efficient. She wants to keep give everybody what, what they need in a good way. And, and she all knows what's right and wants to m- make things right all the time. And she's just smart. She's really smart. Uh, so, so for years I've been telling her she's a leader and she needs to speak up. That she should influence other people. She does influence other people when, just by her actions, and that she could could and should be more intentional about that. And uh, I think, you know, over the last eight years, I I, I've, I don't know how often I've said it to her, but I said it a lot. And I, I believe that she is now starting to believe me. And she's not going to aspire to be a leader, but I've seen her now speak up among her coworkers and and provide them direction. Yeah. When when it was when it was clearly intentional that she knew she was providing leadership when before she only thought she was helping somebody. Mm-hmm. Um she's now leading people. And so uh so again, I, she's i I don't think her disc profile would call her a leader i'm not sure i don't even i don't know i don't don't remember what her profile is exactly but i don't think she she grades out that way but she is and Mm -hmm. she's acquired it and it's because she's good and she's caring and she's smart and she's and she's passionate and uh passion helps let me tell you (laughs) awesome so cool yeah
0: words of wisdom yeah Ah, man, I just hate to cut it off, but we need, we need to end this one so we can get on another one. All right. It's awesome. So talking about leadership and finding uh, strength, strength and that the just the story in the middle, talking about uh, the young man and just like how, you know, just like I, it's so clear to me in my own life. Um, you know, my dad always talks about whatever I'm doing right now is going to prepare me for whatever happens next. And just looking at you in your life, it's so clear. Looking at myself and my life, it's so clear. It just struck me again as you're kind of talking through that of, you know, like at, in any particular phase, I mean, you could even say you know, for months or years, I'm just sitting there lost, you know, and you're not really sure what role you're playing or why you're doing this or that or whatever. And then you know, all of a sudden one day, there it is, you know, and, and i so clearly guided on this path to this moment right here doing what we're doing, and it's all the Lord's work. So, man.
1: Yeah. No, I... I. I see the same thing looking back and I don't I don't uh I don't know what's next for me. Yeah. I mean I, I'm not planning to do anything different. But, <laughs> right, yeah. But but in any case, see your dad's right. The the Lord yeah. the Lord the Lord uses every day yeah. to prepare us for the next.
0: Right. Well and just you know, the idea that you know, as like just continual training. Like he's got a clear, specific you know, he, well he says. And he's prepared good works in advance for us to do, and he's going to walk us down that path right to those good works we need to do. Awesome. Thanks again. No, thank you, Charlie. That's good. Thanks for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Time to Gird Up. You can find us on Facebook at The Gird Up Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U N G E M A C H, at gmail.com. Please leave a five star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four and five star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Pommier for our podcast art. And thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one.